This is the Mizzou Sports Podcast, presented by the Columbia Daily Tribune. Hello and welcome to another Mizzou Sports Podcast. My name is Eric Blum, breaking down Mizzou Sports with you every week here on the show. Joining me as always is Langston Newsom. How are you doing, Langston? Absolutely fantastic. How about yourself? Better now that we know at least a little bit of information about this season. Uh, for anybody who does not know, or, you know, the big news came out yesterday, the SEC is moving to a 10-game conference-only schedule, and now we at least know kind of what the season's going to look like. It should start September 26th, even though fall camp looks like it's still starting a week from today, August 7th, and Missouri looks like they're keeping the eight conference games they did have on their schedule, and we'll just add two more SEC West opponents. When you heard the announcement, Langston, what did you think? My first thought was about you because I mean, the last few weeks, especially on the podcast, but in conversations, you know, outside of the pod, just a lot of uncertainty revolving around uh, Mizzou football, and especially for you, not knowing where you're going to be or if you're going to be able to cover games, and there's still a little bit of uncertainty there. But now we know, ten games, SEC only, and I think it's really, really nice that they're pushing back the start date, and I think that gives it a much better chance of actually beginning on time, quote unquote. Um, the September 5th always kind of seemed not impossible, but not probable in my mind. But September 26th, I believe, much more doable, three weeks. And, you know, Jim Stark talked about it a little bit in his press conference. It gives them a little bit of time when students come back. If there is any outbreaks, they have a few weeks of time to try to get that under control before they'll have their first game of the season. Yeah, I, what, kind of walking it back since I guess we recorded last Thursday, um, walking it back and there was rumors we were going to hear something this week starting, you know, the beginning of last week. And then kind of towards a couple of days ago, it was like, well, we're not going to wait until next week to hear. And then Thursday, it all kind of happened. And then Wednesday, two days ago, uh, the ACC announced they were doing the 10 plus one model where one can be a non-conference game at home or against an in-state opposition as long as that conferences or that school met the ACC's guidelines, which is the basic guidelines for everybody for COVID testing and all of that, which kept alive the games like Auburn, North Carolina could have still happened in Chapel Hill, along with the in-state rivalries of like Louisville, Kentucky, uh, Florida, Florida State, Clemson, South Carolina, Georgia, Georgia Tech, and Missouri probably still would have hosted, I believe Eastern Michigan is the one that would have probably still been the home game for them. Uh, Because I mean, going, I don't think BYU would have wanted to come here. I think that that's a actually that that's a replay of a game that happened in 2015. I think actually Gary Pinkle's last game in charge was a, against BYU back in 2015. Uh, but anyway, uh, going off of that, I, I thought that move with the ACC and John Swafford, their equivalent of Greg Sankey, was genius. It's like because if the, the SEC adopts it, and that's exactly who they were looking at for those ma- those in-state matchups. If the SEC cancels, the blood's on their hands. If exactly the if, if it happens like well we came up with the idea you guys just copied us I thought it was really kind of on the nose and genius but the SEC did not follow suit and it, it, from the look of it it sounds like in terms of COVID and in terms of just giving yourself the maximum amount of chance to have any kind of substantial season this was probably the only move they had is pushing it back to almost October to the start of the season and I mean at the end of the day. Today is July 31st. Next month, and I don't know the exact move-in date for general students. It's got to be like around August 20th. It's around then. So in three weeks, you're introducing 
got to be 25,000 of the population of Columbia. And there's other schools who have more in the SEC. And really, if you're looking at it, the schools aren't affected near metropolitan areas. Like Vanderbilt's not going to add that many kids, but you're already in Nashville, like where there's a big touristing city and so many people who already live there. So when you look at just everything combined, having a season is better than, I guess, just waiting in peril. And we don't know how we're going to be able to cover the season from our perspective. Camp does start August 7th, and I'm not sure they're going to let us come directly yet. Uh, it's it's just now more a matter of how the season looks opposed to, well, what does the season look like? You know, we know that the conference games, well, we'll start with the non-con. Missouri was going to host Central Arkansas September 5th. That's out. I think it is September 26th originally was Eastern Michigan. That's out. Uh, October 10th at BYU. That's out. And I believe that would be November 21st at home against Louisiana Lafayette. That is now out. Uh, the entire rest of the schedule is going to be retooled. Home games against Georgia, Arkansas, Kentucky, and I'm forgetting one off the top of my head. Uh, Vanderbilt um, would be all at home, and they're going to be retooled in terms of dates, except for we pretty much know that Arkansas is moving from Arrowhead Stadium to Columbia and will probably pretty much be December 5th, the last game of the season. The road, and then, but every other, every other thing kind of has to move. The road games against. All right, let's try and get this off the top of my head. Uh, South Carolina, Florida, Tennessee, and Mississippi State are all staying right there um, and look to be kind of staying on the schedule. Now it's just a matter of of the other five teams in the West, Auburn, Alabama, LSU, Ole Miss, and... Man, now that's going to bother me because Arkansas is already on the schedule. I, I'm missing one team. LSU? Uh, LSU, Auburn, Alabama. Uh, yeah, I miss, oh, Texas A&M. I always forget Texas A&M. Um, of course, you know, coming used to live in Texas, and I completely forgot Texas A&M. Um, but which two of those five teams are added? It looks like geographically A&M would make the most sense, and they're next on the schedule for the non-traditional crossover games. But it seems like kind of in terms of if they use fair play or whatever, Auburn kind of seems like the clubhouse favorite to be added to Missouri's schedule. Missouri's never played on the Plains. LSU's never came here. It just seems like. This is a really nice opportunity for the conference. You never want to look COVID in the face and say, wow, thank you. That's that, that's not going to happen. But there's some chance for some more unique rivalries to be started here. You know, and a part of me wants Alabama and Vanderbilt to play this season to, just to see, you know, do the Vegas odds makers still give them a 55-point edge in a conference game? You know, we'll see who's supposed to be the worst team by far, kind of the best team by far in the SEC. But kind of what are your thoughts on – the schedule and who would you want to see Mizzou play Langston? It's really, really interesting because I, I like that you brought it up. We're not going to thank COVID for anything, but if the SEC would, you know, adopt a, you know, a system or a schedule that allows for more conference games in the future based off of what happens this year, I think that is an absolutely fantastic thing. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I don't care to watch Missouri play, you know, Central Arkansas, you know, or, or, um, Eastern Michigan. Uh, those aren't games that I really want to see. I know that those can be "quote unquote" you know patterns that um, that can help you get wins to qualify for bowl games. But I would much rather see a Missouri take on an Auburn, a Missouri go play LSU. Obviously, that would make the schedule tougher, and that's something that ads would have to work out in the future. And that's something that ads are probably talking about right now because it's one thing to just say, "Hey, we're going to have a ten-game conference-only schedule," but it's another thing is 
wow, you know, my schedule of soccer from Mizzou might jump from the bottom of the SEC to now we're in the middle or near the top because now we got to go play LSU or we got to go play in Auburn. And so it greatly changes your strength of schedule. And I expect the ADs to kind of weigh that in their decision of who they ultimately pick. I don't know if we talked about that on the pod or not. But, I mean, that has to go into that type of consideration. But when it comes to who I want to see Missouri play, I love the idea of Alabama playing Vanderbilt. <laughs> I would watch Great. that. Absolutely. Definitely. Um, LSU, that's the game I kind of want to see. Um, Baton Rouge or here? Here. <laughs> okay. Um, but uh, just because I personally haven't seen it. And I think what you brought up is really, really interesting. The chance for new rivalries in the SEC. And if the SEC and SEC fans, I, knew, I don't personally say this, but the SEC is, is, is lofted as the best conference in football, and deservedly so. Then why, why aren't we playing more SEC games, and aren't we proving ourselves against everyone in our conference, or as close to everyone as we possibly can? Yeah, it's an old scheduling model that was kind of adopted when Missouri and A&M joined the conference in 2012, and... We'll see if anything changes because of this. Everything's kind of up in the air. We actually do still have a special guest for this episode, uh, USA Today columnist Dan Wilkin. We actually kind of talked about a lot of that kind of the end. So there's not going to be a better transition point. We're going to talk way more about this. And we had a press availability with Conzo Martin earlier today. We'll kind of break down all the big news kind of heading into what would have been the traditional start of fall camp would have been next time we would have talked to you. But until then, here's my conversation earlier today with USA Today's Dan Wilkin. Joining the Mizzou Sports Podcast this time is one of the sports columnists for USA Today, Dan Wilkin. How are you doing, Dan? I'm doing all right. How are you? Good. Obviously, big news in college football right now being kind of how everybody's going from, you know, their full schedules to obviously, you know, SEC announcing a 10-game schedule yesterday. Uh, kind of what were your thoughts on it coming off the bat, and where do you, how do you kind of see this playing out down the road? Well, I think you're seeing a consensus start to form in the power conferences that maybe the best way to go about this is to play conference only uh, to start a little bit later and hope that if that by doing that what you're going to do is allow more time for schools to figure out if there's outbreaks on their campuses when regular uh, students come back uh, to watch what happens and what they can learn maybe from the NFL going into training camp and, and regular season and uh, you know and also baseball uh, some of the issues they've had because those are the sports that are most analogous to what college is trying to do by not having a bubble so you know there's more advantages too to, to waiting maybe the number of cases goes down in some way you know maybe testing a point of care becomes a little bit more prevalent uh, so that you can get results faster you know all those things are are part of the mix. I think everyone recognizes the challenge of, of trying to do this season and that, you know, conference only, if you're going to do it, if you're going to pull it off, might be the, the best uh, the best way. So it's interesting. And if it happens, um, it's going to be a really unique uh, season that uh, I don't think any of us will ever forget. Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely worth mentioning that, you know, yesterday's decision to not lock in that college football is happening this fall. It just there's a plan moving forward as opposed to just well we'll see uh were you kind of surprised kind of with the timing coming right off the acc's announcement with how the sec did things especially that it's kind of now looking like it's the sec who forced the cancellation of louisville kentucky florida florida state clemson south carolina those types of games 
Well, I'm not too surprised because ultimately one thing you've heard, no matter which conference you're in, is a lot of frustration about not having uh, a concrete start date. Uh, you, you've got these players who are on campus for these individual workouts. Uh, you've got coaching staffs trying to figure out the best way to prepare for whatever the season's going to be. And you do need to start having some some dates uh, that, that you're preparing for. And um, to just kind of leave it in limbo and you know push it back week after week after week, uh, at some point, you 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 got to make a decision. Now, look, ultimately things can change, but I do think just for the sake of organization and normalcy and giving everyone uh, something to plan around, they they did need to figure this stuff out uh, sooner rather than later. Now, in terms of how you look at the conference as a whole, do you think that? going to 10 conference games benefits a school like Missouri or should the games be played or did that actually hurt them because they're going to be adding most likely you know a lot of people think Auburn's a lock to be joining for whatever reason Missouri schedule or how do you how do you kind of see think this affects Missouri directly well I think any team um, if you're adding two SEC games you're, you're probably adding two pretty tough games you know in aggregate uh, you're probably looking at not as good of a record, you know. Now I don't know that that's going to be true for everybody, and you know there may be quirks that uh, uh, determine you know somebody's got a little easier than somebody else. But I mean, just as a general principle, yeah. I mean, if you're adding Auburn, you're adding a real tough game, you know. And and but now I don't know that that's exactly what's going to happen. I think there's still some some wrangling and uh, probably a little bit of luck of the draw that's going to determine. Uh, who plays who but uh yeah i i am you know i i think it's going to be really hard i mean the sec is a, a a tough league it's a physical league and i think that a lot of these uh you know a lot of these schools are are not it's this is not for a, a competitive reason for a you know getting a better record reason this is just survival do you think that the idea of a college football bubble would work? And if so, where would you look at the SEC kind of having it? No, I mean, you really can't uh, for, for a variety of reasons. Um, for, first of all, I mean, you have to remember the NBA is spending $150 million to, to pull off their bubble with 22 teams. And you're talking about, what, 13 uh, or 15 players mm-hmm. per team and you know much smaller coaching staffs. Than, than what you've got with uh, college football. So uh, beyond just the logistics of it, which would be impossible, really, for, for college football to manage uh, and, and the cost, you're also talking about the whole ethical question of amateur athletes and, and not paying them. So um, a lot of factors to go into that mix, and I, I think it's more it's, – it's a, it's a non-starter. So how do you keep the kid safe then, or is it just – kind of best of luck at this point with, with well, uh, when you're adding like 25,000 uh, kids back to Columbia in a matter of weeks I think the answer is we're going to see I don't think anyone can guarantee uh, the, that there is a way to keep them safe and look um, if we're being honest if, if safety was the number one priority they would not play the season uh, they would w- wait 
till the spring or they just cancel it, you know, but this is the, the route that they've chosen and weighing the costs and benefits of everything and all the different considerations, they feel like they need to try to do this. And uh, I think a lot of the responsibility is just going to be on players and, and not just players, but staff members too, to, to limit their exposure to the outside world, you know, and, and you can't really have a bubble, but you can make choices about, what you do on your free time and, and who you're around. And uh, I know that's not going to be easy. And, and I don't think it's, it's a great idea to pin all your hopes on the choices of 18, 19, 20 year olds, but there, there's no doubt that uh, that's going to be a big factor in whether this thing succeeds or fails. I know there's the crowd out there that thinks the sports media doesn't want a season to happen, but you know, obviously from us wanting to cover things and just, we obviously want the experience of covering a season, like you said earlier, unlike any else. But what do you think is the, looking at how the data says the best case scenario for going forward obviously the worst is no games are played and there's an outbreak on every campus but what do you think honestly is do you think this schedule as kind of conjured up yesterday by greg sankey and crew can happen as scheduled or do you think there's going to still be some tinkering to happen here and there i have no idea how it's all going to play out and that's part of the intrigue of what we're about to deal with and you know look uh as a member of the media, as a reporter, or someone who covers college football, I think you, you have to cover the sport fully and honestly and, and truthfully. And part of that truth is the context of, of the pandemic and what we're dealing with and how difficult it's going to be to pull off uh, a lot of these uh, things that they're trying to do. And uh, so it's our job to, you know, to ask questions and to hold people accountable and to make them uh, explain you know why they're doing certain things the way they are and so that's you know that that's that's not rooting against the season to happen it's simply trying to provide the the full reality and not stick our head in the sand about how difficult it's going to be before covid before all that kind of give our listeners kind of a view of how you you know your your career in a sense you know just how long you've been at usa today and now the tribune is obviously a part of the usa today network and we're both owned by gannett uh just kind of give us a uh a picture of how you got to this point in your career and how you kind of became a national sports columnist with USA Today. Well, I mean, you, you look at um, uh, seven years, or I'm sorry, now going on eight years at, at USA Today, and it's certainly been really interesting and a lot of changes, uh, both in the journalism business and, and in the college football, college sports business. But uh, I've been really uh, blessed and fortunate to have the opportunity to, to do this and cover college football uh, since 2012 and you know I had a you know fairly you know fairly straightforward honestly journalism career I started in newspapers coming out of college in uh, Colorado Springs and uh, worked my way from there to Memphis and then I took a job with a digital media publication that uh, no longer exists but I was covering you know uh, national sports columnist there and uh, certainly got a variety of experiences covering NFL, NBA, you know, college, everything, and, and then focus more on colleges of the USA Today. But, yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, it's kind of always what I what I wanted to do uh, to, to work in this business. So it's been really uh, fulfilling to get to do that. Do you have a favorite experience in your career thus far? Well, yeah, I mean, I've had so many, you know, really amazing uh, experiences and you know i've covered almost every 
you know big event uh, there is to cover. So that that's really cool. I mean, there's nothing like being in an Olympics and uh, having an opportunity to to tell those stories and be part of you know be part of a really remarkable uh, event that's that's not like anything else. Um, but you know, I've seen you know I was there at the 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 kick six i mean you know unforgettable moment uh you know there uh, the villanova shot to beat north carolina uh on a buzzer beater for the national championship um you know unforgettable moment uh you know there's just been there's just been so many games uh, american pharaoh winning the triple crown uh in horse racing i mean just i can't even name one because i've you know been fortunate to see so many Fair enough. And kind of getting back into the current events of things, uh, what did you kind of make of, you know, Notre Dame kind of joining the ACC? And do you think now that they had a taste of conference play, they're not going to be, go back to being an independent ever again? Or kind of that was kind of one of the quirks of the ACC schedule. How do you see that kind of playing out? No, I think this is a one-off. I think that Notre Dame values being an independent for reasons that – are pretty deeply rooted in uh, that university. Uh, and I think, you know, maybe one day well down the road, uh, that's something that, that they might be forced to reevaluate. But that would be based on, you know, larger changes in the context of college sports that, that would necessitate them really being in a conference. Um, I, I think for now, there's really no incentive for Notre Dame to, to, to do that now. And, you know, they've, they've got a great partnership, frankly, with the ACC where, you know, they can kind of be halfway in, halfway out. And uh, obviously the way it worked out this year, uh, it's a unique situation where they'll have an opportunity to play for a conference title. But I don't think they're going to make big, you know, decade-long inst- uh, decisions for, for their institution based on that. Gotcha. And and going off of that, do you think maybe this model of a 10-game conference season kind of across the board for Power 5 is something that might stick after the pandemic ends? No, I don't think so. Um, because, look, there, there's a lot of benefits to having non-conference games. Um, you know, it's just from financial to just the fact that uh, you like seeing those cross uh, region matchups you know you like seeing uh, the big you know non-conference game that really matters that really validates one conference really you know helps you build toward the, the playoff I mean it college football is kind of a regional sport but it's become more national and I think that the big games you know Ohio State Alabama on the schedule in however many years six seven years I think that's good for college football um, so I, I think people will want to see more of those, not less, even though this season is going to be, I'm sure, very, very interesting if it happens. Gotcha. Just, I'm curious your take on this as well, and I, I appreciate your time with us here, Dan. But uh, as an outsider's view, how do you feel You know, Missouri kind of fits in the SEC? It, it, it seems like when you talk to other fan bases, it seems like if you had to kick one school out, despite Vanderbilt not being competitive <laughs> in, in football or men's basketball and reducing the size of their, their athletic department, it seems like Missouri is kind of the one to be picked on. But how do you kind of view their you know, stance being in this conference and entering year nine of football compared to all the rivalries, all the rivalries they left behind in the Big 12? Well, look, there's a reason why 10 years ago when conference realignment was dominating college sports that Missouri 
was wanting to go to the Big Ten. Uh, that's what the, that, the leadership of that school at, the, at that time was hoping would happen, that they would be accepted into uh, the Big Ten. And instead, uh, things with the Big 12 kind of spiraled and uh, there was an opportunity uh, for, for the SEC and the Big Ten at that time was focused on uh, going east, you know, to, to Maryland and Rutgers. And so it left an opportunity uh, for the SEC who was looking to add and Missouri was wanting to extricate themselves from a dysfunctional situation in the Big 12. And, and it was kind of, you know, kind of the, the option that, that, that was there for them and, and that also satisfied the SEC's goal of expanding their TV network uh, footprint. So, um, look, I, I think the 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 fit is based more on you know factors that um are not rooted in competition they're not rooted in culture they're not rooted in tradition it's simply circumstance and and tv uh so you know i I think missouri would fit better in the big 12 i think they'd fit better in the big 10 but that's just not where where we are and you know, ten years ago, there were schools that were really afraid that they were going to get left out in the cold. And so, the the most important thing was finding a dance partner. And you know, from for a lot of perspectives, having the SEC as your dance partner is a pretty good one. Gotcha. And I guess one final question, just to kind of wrap this all up and kind of moving back into current times. Um, from any anything you see from Missouri now that could launch them, other than just success, kind of more into where they were in the you know Big Twelve days of challenging for being at the top of the conference a little bit more. You know, how, how do you kind of see Missouri's view on a national level when people think of Mizzou? What do they think? Well, it's going to be difficult just because in the SEC you've just got a lot of powerhouse programs to to climb over, and Missouri won the SECs for a couple years when, frankly. You know, Georgia and and, and uh, Florida were a little bit down, um, and certainly they were a good team those years. But um, that's kind of what what you need is you need some of those power programs, those traditional programs, to be to be off their game a little bit, and you've got to be really good. Uh, you know, you, it's probably not likely at Missouri that you're going to be consistently recruiting uh, or out recruiting the teams you play, just because uh, you don't have the numbers of great high school players in the state uh, but it's been proven that that it's a program that can win at a pretty high level and uh, if you get the right coach and the right circumstances you know maybe every now and then you can kind of catch catch the east uh, sleeping a little bit and and have a chance to win your division and you know make the playoffs it, but it's a lot it's a really long climb gotcha you kind of tease it there so fun one final final question do you think Rinkwitz might be that coach well, I don't know. I mean, look, Eli's been a head coach for one year uh, at a program in Appalachian State that was really well established and was already winning. And he, he did a good job and won the Sun Belt, but he's he's not had to build anything yet. So uh, that's the you know that's that's the goal now. That's that's the challenge, and it's hard to build in the SEC. It's it's recruiting year over year over year. It's stockpiling, and obviously, it's coaching. Uh, so. You know, he, there's there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of uh, of things we'll find out about him uh, as an SEC coach in the next couple of years. But um, he really, just the track record uh, is not deep enough to to really have a great sense of it. 
All right, that was Dan Wolken from USA Today joining us here. Uh, I guess your, is your is your Twitter handle? It's, it's just at Dan Wolken, right? That's it. At Dan Wolken, that's where you can find him. You can find all of his stories there with you at USA Today. And and his, his I think it, like in the past couple of weeks, he's had a few stories in the Tribune. There was the one on Michael Porter. You, we ran here. We ran your column on the SEC in the middle of last week. Kind of was looking to make a decision. So his name has appeared in the Tribune pretty often over the past few weeks, and I'm sure it will again. Thanks so much, Dan, for joining us here. And uh, and uh, yeah, we'll catch up with you soon. Appreciate you. Thank you. We would like to thank our sponsors for the Mizzou Sports Podcast. University of Missouri Healthcare. University of Missouri Healthcare is proud to be the official sponsor of MU Athletics. Blue Events. Let Blue create your perfect event. Their passion for food, service, and presentation ensures that you will have a seamless and memorable event, no matter the size. They will work with you to bring your vision to life. Phyllis Nichols, State Farm Insurance. There when things go wrong, here to help life go right. And now back to our podcast. And thank you once again to Dan Wilkin for joining us on the show. Now that we're both all a part of the Connect family here at the Columbia Daily Tribune. But before I go any further, the Mizzou Sports Podcast is brought to you by Zaxby's, the home of handmade-to-order chicken, salads, and more than a dozen mild-to-wild sauces. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today. And the neighborhood Zaxby's in Columbia is off of North 63 and Stadium Drive. I haven't been there in a couple months because of the pandemic, but I should go soon. All right, well, we're, we're kind of back talking about everything going on with the college football world. Uh, you know, I didn't give my pick for who I wanted. I kind of said it earlier, but from a journalist perspective, I really want that game September 26th to be at Auburn. I really want, it makes too much sense for Eli Drinkwitz to play his first college game at Auburn, where he started his career a decade ago against Gus Malzahn, who helped kind of elevate his college career. It was the offensive coordinator on that 2010 Auburn team that won the national title. He worked under him at Arkansas State when when Malzahn went there, brought him with him, and that kind of set him on a path with Brian Harson on that staff too. Took him to Boise State, and then Drinkwitz made his own name at NC State App, and now he's here. That just makes too much sense for me, writing wise, to not have that game be against Auburn. But I really do think that LSU coming here, maybe Alabama coming here again, is going to be the other game. Uh, the fact that AM's on the schedule next year, I think, actually works against it. I know that that was kind of the another retooling everything. That that says to me that the easy find is not out there. So there's going to be something a little off. It would be why wouldn't you just add the next two crossover opponents if it was going to be AM and Auburn you were going to add? It's, I just think that that's a little bit off to me. Something wonky is going to happen. And so I'll, I, I'm going to I'm going to add the two Alabama schools. It would be uh, it would be Alabama coming to Columbia and Missouri going to Auburn would be my unlogical pick i guess that would definitely increase the strength of schedule right there out the bat especially going to, to auburn week one for Drinkwitz. that's a, a hell of a way to kind of start his career here for sure uh and i want to talk to you more about kind of as a student as someone who went here i didn't go here um what is adding the population back to columbia mean you know as a part of the student body and how could that just absolutely tank this season i mean they obviously picked the september 26th date to kind of limit the risk of COVID. If there's an outbreak in college campuses, it's not like, whoops, we have a game that weekend. That's not happening. Season's over against Central Arkansas anymore. It's We have a kind of time to get it underway and to mitigate the outbreak. So as someone who's lived in the dorms and lived off campus now, you know, is this possible? 
Well, I mean, my first thought when you say that is, one, the football players don't stay in dorms. So they're in off-campus housing that also houses other students at Columbia. So my first thought is, you know, that's an easy way to get your players exposed right then and there if they're not careful because you've got other students who may be going out, whether not just to classes but to area other other things. There's in the other cl- things to do in Columbia, yeah. like maybe downtown. There's other. Th- have you partaken in any of these places, Lynx? No. So, uh, but yeah, that's definitely an easy way right there. Just passing in the hallway or being in the common areas in those uh, apartment buildings and those apartment complexes. Uh, there's you know a way to get sick, and I think the conferences as well as the Pac-12 announcing that they're going to attend games schedule and they're also starting in late september as well i think they're expecting once their players go back to classes even with masks just being in such close proximity excuse me there's going to be more cases and i think um jim sterk and the rest of the 80s and the sec understand that and so i think that's another reason why they push things back but it is possible but you're really counting now on 18 to 22 year olds to now not behave because that's the wrong word but to exercise caution when they normally wouldn't have to and that's and that's where it gets dicey because you're asking kids you know a little bit younger than me hey on a friday night or you know a thursday night and when you might have practice late the next uh, morning don't go out don't go don't go to a party you know big 12 or my house or wherever they want to you know want to go drink or do anything else if they're legal they can't go do that. And so you're asking them to stay away from those situations. And that's putting a lot of trust in these players. And what you're hoping is that they want to play football as much as the SEC needs them to play football for money-wise. Um, and that's a lot of trust. But you've got a lot of guys who worked for this their entire lives. So I would hope and I would expect them to kind of fall in line or to exercise caution. But at the end of the day, they are still young and mistakes will be made. Uh, yeah, and, and, that, and that's my thing is like, you know, and you mentioned Big Twelve. I don't think it's called Big Twelve anymore. It's Campus Bar and Grill now, next to that's that's what you were talking. About, <laughs> it would right? always be it'll always be Big Twelve to me. But yes, it is Campus Bar and Grill now. Yeah, that, that that's when I moved here. It was Campus Bar and Grill. I'm like people were referring to Big Twelve. I'm like Big Twelve. They haven't been to Big Twelve since 2012. What the heck is everybody talking about? And it's like, oh, it was actually the name of a bar across from Shakespeare's downtown. It's like, oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah, I I, I have partaken in the Big Twelve. They have a, they actually have good burgers at uh, Campus Bar and Grill. Uh, yeah, that's a long-ranging discussion you and I can have another time about who has the best burger in Columbia. But anyway. It's now, not Booch's, I'll tell you that. Booch's is probably second for me. I like Billiards better. It, Billiards, Billiards is the best burger in town. It's, 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 there's a couple other contenders. We can talk about that another time. Anyway, no, but the thing that I foresee kind of happening is, and I think the SEC was smart but kind of backed into a corner with how they made this decision is, if there's an outbreak – you, you built in two open weeks, but 10 games. And we don't know what the world around with bowl games and the playoff and the New Year's Six. We don't know any of that. So it's like, let's say there's an outbreak. I thought they should have added more time. I would have actually seen them like to start a week earlier, maybe even two weeks earlier, and kind of just get one game underway like September 12th and then put a break in there just to see what the effects are of the direct competition and playing each other. Yes, that starts it closer to the move-in date, farther away from October but to kind of get a test subject instead of having well all the dominoes fall over if one team kind of goes out of whack you can kind of change things kind of on the fly a little bit better if you know kind of with you know trial and hopefully not error but I thought that that was what I was a little interested in there's only two I mean it's very wishful to think oh there's not gonna be a problem it's more so that 
what happens now? Like, baseball has not had a problem, obviously, since we've started. Being very sarcastic there, for those who don't know. <laughs> obviously, baseball, we recorded last Thursday, and then that was right after that We was the Yankees-Nationals game. Baseball's plan lasted literally four days. They had an outbreak in Miami and in Philly, and now in St. Louis, and, like, it's wishful to think that baseball's even going to have this full season at this point. And that's the most close thing to the NFL and to college football when a bubble really isn't possible. That's what Dan Wilkin was talking about earlier. You know, kind of he brought up that subject and made a very good point of how ethical and even reasonable it is. And I was going to, I was really curious what city he said because I think one of the best cities to kind of, even in the SEC footprint, to hold the bubble would even be St. Louis, just in terms of how you could spread people out. But if a bubble were to exist, you would think it would be Atlanta or Nashville before they think about shrugging everybody or, you know, having everybody come up to St. Louis. Uh, I don't even know what I was trying to say there. I but. mean, uh, we were talking about putting, quote unquote, student athletes in a bubble, removing them from classes and things like that. There's just so many things that I, I don't think a bubble is even possible or you can't even begin to start planning for a bubble in college athletics. And I think that's interesting that you brought it up because let's say a player gets uh, test positive for COVID-19. Well, that's a mandatory what 14-day quarantine right, right there. Or is it 10 or 14 days? Uh, 10 to 14 10 days. 10 to 14 days. days. So you were right either way. So let's say, you know, you have one or two players test positive for COVID. Well, now you have to test the rest of your players. They've, could, they've been in close proximity or close contact, contact. Even if you have an open date, I mean, you might have a group of five, six players who can't play, not, not in the next game, but the game right after that. It's two weeks that you're pos- there's a possibility that your players can't play in that. So even with that kind of schedule, there's still an opportunity. What happens if, you know, Mizzou goes down and travels to Tuscaloosa to play Alabama and Alabama's quarterback is out with COVID-19? That changes kind of everything. When I mean, you'd still play that game, but I mean, you probably still lose that game. <laughs> sorry, but, it's, true. But, it's true though. Sorry, not sorry. But like rankings and things, everything kind of goes out the door, and it's going to be a really a week by week thing because, and I know everyone's seen in Oklahoma, they've had multiple test comes back, uh, multiple weeks of tests come back with zero uh, positive tests with their football program. That's all and great. They're going to add thirty thousand people in Lincoln in about what a month. Yeah, I just don't think it's possible to get, maintain those numbers once you mix everything else because these these students are still going to be going to class. That's true, and 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 I don't want to be all pessimistic because but because it's supposed to be good news is what they released. It's just looking at the actual application of the sport. Yesterday's decision did nothing to you know delay anyone's fears that there still could be a season. It's just now okay, this is what it would look like. And yesterday felt was one of the busier days I've had since the pandemic started, probably since the announcement of the waivers and just canceling everything in general. It's like, wow, there's actual news to talk about instead of just trying to find stories. So it kind of felt a little bit normal for once, but fall camp is supposed to start next week. We still have no idea kind of when Mizzou's going to have the media there. And not that they have had an idea of when even they could, those days could even happen until yesterday, but... I mean, it, it just really underscores how different everything, single thing is this season right now. We're recording a podcast, wearing masks, sitting six feet, six feet apart right now, instead of the usual way of just interacting and everything like that. It's, it, it's just, just very different. And, you know, with COVID-19 cases on the rise and not all, all that much advance, it's really happening. You know, it just seems like how much the NCAA is 
not kind of making safety and health of the players the number one priority right now. And Dan Wilkin did say that too. But it really is starting to come out of, wow, do we really need college football right now, entertainment-wise, compared to the safety and health of these players? And I guess the answer is yes. Schools need the money. Um, so that's that's first and foremost. They can talk about safety and all that. But money is driving the reason why they want athletics back. And I do believe that the NCAA and the SEC and the other Power 5 conferences are going to try their best to make it as safe as possible. And kind of going back to what you said about we might be sounding pessimistic, it's great that the SEC, the Pac-12, and the ACC has now have a plan. There was weeks of just, you know, we'll release a statement late July, and we had no idea what that would mean. We had no idea, you know, what the season would look like. There's a plan now. Will this ultimately be the thing that happens this year? We have no idea. But at least there's a plan in place, and the ADs have come together and, and agreed on something moving forward. And here's my thing. If football starting September 26th, how can you make volleyball start September 5th? Like... At the end of the day, those rosters are smaller, but there's no way to keep that even. Like, at the end of the day, I would not be shocked by the next time we talk to you and, you know, whenever that is. But it's going to be next week. I mean, just Langston's going on a little bit of vacation next week. So maybe we'll record an episode before that, maybe next Tuesday or something. But if I, if we come to you next, the next time we come to you and the news of, oh, all fall sports have been delayed until September 26 comes out, I wouldn't be shocked. No. You know. And even at that, I mean, just having some other stuff come out like, well, to travel to these games, every team's going to have to fly commercial. Like, that would not shock me actually either. You know, it'd be a little interesting. Or they'd have to bus everywhere privately, like, just to save money and a little bit of resources. Like, they might, they might team athletic departments, might, instead of having a private charter, might have to buy a regular plane, but just buy all the seats themselves and just have a flight from, let's call it for the Florida game, St. Louis to Orlando themselves. So... It, it, that would be pretty interesting to see how just the pure logistics of a season is going to work. Uh, and we'll come to you with all that information later. We've talked enough about it. And, you know, overall, I'll, I'll leave it with this. I was really looking forward to going to Salt Lake. Like, at the, I would never, a city I probably would never go to. And it, it apparently is really beautiful uh, since I've seen it at the 2002 Olympics. And I am actually very disappointed that I will not be checking out Provo, Utah. But, you know, we have to get all have to sacrifice for COVID. And it looks like. You know, we'll 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 go from there. Uh, just kind of going into a little bit of different news. We did have a you know Zoom availability with Conzo Martin today, and after it was announced uh, last week at this time that both Jeremiah Tillman, Xavier Pinson, and Mitchell Smith are all returning. Uh, I, I have a story in Saturday's Tribune about it. Kind of talked to Conzo about a whole lot of different things, uh, and one of the things was he's they're not their roster's pretty much now set. After the transfer of Axel Congo, they had one open scholarship spot. Conzo's not looking to fill that as of this time. He might give a scholarship to one of the might give that spot to one of the two walk-ons on the team. Actually, might be the move in Evan Jerickson, Brooks Ford. But you know, you, you just are kind of looking at the roster, and Conzo knows that th- this team is incredibly experienced. Conzo knows that the opportunity is right in front of them here. They're not. They're kind of going to come back to campus a little earlier than anybody else. Report date is, I think, August. Uh, 13th, and then they're going to have their 10-day period. So get started on uh, hopefully August 24th if no COVID cases come up. Uh, and you, and and they'll go from there. Um, and Conzo did talk a little bit about, uh, as he usually does and did on the podcast, I guess about a little under two months ago at this point, about some of the social issues that come out there. And he played a little bit of uh, Sam Cook for us on uh, 
the, the press conference. It was interesting because Kanzu very much, you know, usually is straightforward business, but when he would pull out his phone and start playing a change, it's going to come by Sam Cooke. That was, that was very interesting, and he always was very eloquent as always, and yeah, that's kind of the basketball news there. Do you have any take on that, Langston? Or? Yeah, and kind of picking back off of that, one of the things from your story today in the Tribune that really kind of stuck out to me, um, Conzo, uh, Coach Martin talked a little bit about, you know, the NCAA allowing, you know, student-athletes to wear patches on their uniforms this year, uh, expressing things, you know, uh, racial injustice and social justice is- issues. And, I, you know, I thought a quote from him that really kind of stood out to me is he said, and I quote, if we do it, it will be a part of our uniform, so we'll do it together. Um, so it's not a, as if just one guy will do something, the next guy doesn't. We'll do it together as a team. And I think that's the only right when you play a team sport. And I think that's a great idea moving forward. You know, it's it's more than just one of your players saying, hey, listen, I want to stand up for social justice issues. I think it's a great idea as a team. The Missouri uh, Tigers basketball team, we stand as this together. This is something that we have talked about conversations that we've had as a team as a staff and this is what we stand for it makes it more than just saying hey this is a patch no this is a dialogue that is happening throughout the entire program and this is what we're going to present on the floor when when and if a college basketball season happens yeah that was kind of a piece of minor news that kind of snuck under the table yesterday with the ncaa kind of fair play committee coming out saying that players are going to be allowed to wear patches that are uh designated by the school and conference and allowed and one thing i found kind of interesting is that they were kind of slipped at the end there is that for men's and women's soccer uh spitting on a on an opponent was increased from not only an automatic ejection but but instead of a one game suspension a two game suspension because of covid well you know can't say that and the nsa is not absolutely right on the needle of you know figuring all this out here and oh wow just spitting on an opponent the rules at the cutting edge of technology there from indianapolis fantastic langston anything anything you want to add after spitting on an opponent um don't, yeah don't so spit in anybody's Zaxby's you food know or? a way to really not spit on an opponent is to wear a mask because <laughs> even if you spit it's just going to get caught in the mask um yeah so keep a safe distance social distancing still needs to take place stay six feet away from each other and wear a mask um if you want to see the tigers uh take on unnamed opponent on september 26th you can do your part by wearing a mask and you know help the tribune by using some zaxby's i don't know maybe both very very true good 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 statement there langston it looks like we are 57 days if there is a game in auburn which i'm hoping that would be the best thing to write about or uh, september 26 is 57 days from today i'm hoping there's a college football game then that we can cover we'll come back i have some cool ideas we can do in the meantime if a schedule is released between now and the next time we record we'll probably get some of those beat writers on to kind of preview and do a quick preview of the season uh, until then that was Langston Newsome. I'm Eric Blum. Thanks for listening to this week's Mizzou Sports Podcast, and we'll see you next time.